Wow. Is this on? Got it. I don't know if this is on yet. Is it? It is on. Okay, I hear it. All right. Well, first of all, I want to just say happy Sabbath to everybody. It's nice seeing everybody. It really is nice seeing you. What a beautiful song. What a good children's story. I just enjoy so much everything that everybody does, don't you? We really have a special church here, you know that? And uh, I know that uh, we're a very serious church because we all want to go to the kingdom. And we all want to be with Jesus, don't you? That's me. I do too. You know, I feel really blessed uh, to be a Seventh-day Adventist. And, uh, you know, there was a time, I, I came into church when I was 27 years old, and, and I, I had such a hunger and a, and a desire to know spiritual things. At a, at, a, at a crucial time in my life, I don't have time to go on my testimony and all that, but I really had a desire to know the truth. And, uh, and the Lord eventually led me to the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I got to hear these, the truth that we hold. Uh, it, it just so amazed me. And I know those here who weren't born and raised the Seventh-day Adventist and who came into the church feel the same way. Can I see a show of hands? Amen. And uh, what was more amazing about when I came in it was I didn't realize that how much I was in the darkness. You know? You really never really realized that I was in the darkness until you came into the light. And, and when you realize that, you look back and you go, man, I lived all those years in the dark. And all the, the, the truths that we have. I mean, I, I wanted, I had answers that were within me just yearning to know the truth, like what was life all about. And you don't know what life's all about until you learn the gospel. And you learn what happened in the beginning. When you learn those truths, it's like, oh, that's what happened. And why am I here? And what happened in the past? And why is the world so evil? And is there really a God? And why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And what is the plan of salvation? And what happens after we die? And is there really a hell? Are there really angels? And the Lord answered all those questions for me. And he answered a lot of other questions for me as well. And you know that when you learn these truths that we almost take for granted now, especially if you've been in a church a long time, you know, there's a certain peace. There's a certain peace in the knowledge of those truths. You know that? There is. There's a peace because all those questions that were unanswered are now answered. And uh, there's a peace that came with that. A peace that I knew that I had. And I knew that people in other parts, out in the world, did not have that same peace that I have. And I wanted to share those truths with them. And you know how it is when you first learn this message. You start running out telling everybody. And everybody's kind of looking at you, boy, you're a nut, you know. (laughs) Because why are you so crazy about all this stuff? It's like, don't you see? Don't you understand? I mean, these are answers to those deep questions that you had in your heart. But just, I'm sure, like many of you, for whatever reason... Maybe they're not ready for them yet. For whatever reason, I'm not judging them, but for whatever reason, they just, they didn't see it. They didn't see it. And God, since I came into this church, God had answered other even more deeper things and uh, questions that I had, such as, what is the great controversy really all about? And you know, over the years, you've known me. I've been in this church for many, many years, 20-some years. I'm not sure how long I've been here. 
but we've we've studied these things in the spirit of prophecy in the Bible together, and many of you already knew them. But I learned such thing. What is the great controversy all about? And the importance of reflecting Christ's character and having his character. God revealed to me the width and the breadth of his law. And God broke down 1844, its relevance its to you and to me and to the world and especially to this church and the movement of this church. God showed me the importance of the sanctuary message and all the important lessons that it teaches. And I feel so blessed. And I know that you feel blessed as well. And again, there's a peace that comes from just the knowledge of these truths. Can you say amen? There's a peace that we have. And it's not a worldly peace either. It's a spiritual peace. Because these truths are spiritual. They're not earthly. But you know, with these truths that we hold, and almost to a point where we've had them so long, we can almost take them for granted. But I also think there's a little bit of, we, we, we can become a little prideful uh, because we have these truths. Because we have them and those in the world who don't have them. And we can almost view those in the world who don't have them, we view us almost like in two separate camps. And maybe to a certain extent, rightfully so. And I don't have to tell you that, you already know that if you don't know, I work in a hospital, I'm a registered nurse, and I work with a lot of educated people, uh, a lot of doctors, and uh, have high degrees. And uh, sometimes it can be a little nauseating being around them because they have a look that they look at you like you're different. You know, you're not quite as smart as I am because, you see, they have a knowledge that they have that you don't. And they kind of look down on you a little bit. You know, you poor little, you know, weak-minded person. And they have a look that they give to you. And they talk to you a certain way. And you know that it's, it's pride that they have. It's a pride. And it's not a good pride. The point is that having a knowledge that another person doesn't have, even on spiritual things, can cause us to have a pride and a look that we may give somebody that's not right. Pride is very ugly in the eyes of God. And before I go on on the subject of pride just a little bit, my sermon here isn't just on pride. We're going to go deeper. But what I wanted to bring out that I know that in Sabbath school you guys have been doing a study on pride, and I know nothing about that other than when I came here, okay? This sermon was written a long time ago, okay? So I'm not copying anything, but it just so happens that uh, I was... This topic, the Lord showed me to start it with pride because it, you'll see how it ties in. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 19. These six things does the Lord hate, yea, even seven are abomination to him. A proud look, for number one. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift and running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. He that soweth discord among his brethren. But don't forget the first thing on his list was pride. In Proverbs 8.13, God says, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Pride. Notice the words of how God describes these. These words are pretty powerful words, the word hate. God doesn't use it very many times when you study the Bible. 
They indicate much more than a mild disapproval or a vague wish that we wouldn't be prideful. These words convey an intense degree of emotion that indicates how God regards our proud hearts and hidey attitudes. You know, pride caused the fall of Lucifer. You already know that. It says in Ezekiel twenty eleven, he became lifted up because of his wisdom and beauty. His wisdom was the knowledge that he had. Because of knowledge, we become prideful. You see, increased knowledge can make us have a prideful that is carnal and earthly. Pride also has a go-it-alone attitude. An attitude that I don't need God. It does. When you study, I noticed, it was, I think it was last Sabbath I was here, and I see that in the Sabbath school study, you were studying the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And I already had that little piece in my sermon, so just bear with me. I'm just kind of repeating it a little bit. But Nebuchadnezzar was a mighty conqueror. He ruled the entire empire at one time. He had majesty, glory, and power, and people bowed and trembled before him. He became proud, and one could suppose with a good reason if you think about the position that God had placed him in. But the Bible says that God made the mighty king, uh, made the mighty king be, I'm sorry, the Bible says that God made the once mighty king act like an animal to actually humble him. It's found in Daniel 4, 23 and verse 33. I'm going to read it to you. And they shall drive these, God speaking now to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee eat grass as an oxen. Seven times shall pass over thee, that means seven years, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth to whomsoever he will. And that same hour was a thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and he did eat grass as an oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till the hairs were grown like eagle feathers, and his nails like bird claws. You see, God did that in order to humble Nebuchadnezzar's pride, to bring him down. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 37, this is Nebuchadnezzar. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, pray and extol the honor of the king of heaven, all whose works and truth and his ways and judgment, and those that walk in pride, he will abase. God really hates pride. And if we're proudful, God will humble us. He will humble us. He even had to humble Moses. If you remember the story of Moses, how God, they were out in the wilderness, and God was going to bring water to his people who were just dying of thirst. And God told him to speak to the rock and it will bring forth water. But Moses didn't listen to God. Instead, he struck the rock twice. And this is what Moses said. Must we fetch water out of this rock? And he took the glory unto himself. Must we fetch water? A kind of a doodle, uh, going alone attitude. Taking the glory to belong to God. He took it to himself. We're told in Proverbs 16 and verse 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. But whosoever trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Amen? Amen? You see, if you are prideful, God is going to have to humble you. And sometimes God will have to do this many times because we just don't learn it. And I don't know about you, I'm speaking about me. Most of my sermons, 
You can put a big arrow right here, a big finger pointing at me, okay? So this sermon ain't for you, but if you have the same problem as I have, I hope this helps you. Even God with the children of Israel, how many times did he had to put them into captivity because they didn't learn the lesson that their total dependence was upon God, right? But they didn't. They turned their backs on God and wanted to do their things their own way. A go-it-alone attitude, believing that they could do it without God. Even in the story of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve did the same thing. Because Satan came to them, you see if you partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that you will have knowledge and you will become as God. Again, knowledge. Knowledge can make you prideful. The hope of becoming having more knowledge can make you prideful. The Bible tells us, well I want to say this, well I got um, some sad news first of all. First of all, we're all children of Adam and Eve, aren't we? And we, we all have the same problems that Adam and Eve have. And because of sin that entered into the world, we have what is called a fallen nature. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't think we realize how, how fallen our nature is. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what we are. That's how we are. That's our nature. In Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, the Bible tells us, For from within, out of the heart of man, that is us who are fallen, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, slander, Pride, foolishness, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a person. And it is for this reason, and that's who we are, and we need to come to grips that that's who we are. And it's for that reason that God wants to change us. It is for that reason He wants us to be born again. And I don't know about you, but I know one thing, that when I accepted Jesus, he didn't just wave a magic wand and all of a sudden I became an uncorrupt person. I don't know about you, that that didn't happen to me. Did it happen to any of you? Didn't happen that way. Well, one thing I have learned in my 33, 34 years of being a Christian now and being in this wonderful church, that God will use circumstances in this life. God uses life lessons like tools in order to change our hearts. Just like he did to the children of Israel. He used the, the tool of putting you into slavery in order to wake you up of your dependence that you need of God. To teach us that we need a total dependence upon him. And sometimes these life lessons can very, be very hard. But sometimes God will teach us these things. And you know what happens? I know we've all been humble. Okay, God has humbled each and every one of us. Anytime you fall, that should be a very humbling experience. Anytime that you fall into sin should be a very humbling experience because you realize that there is no excuse for sin if you have a connection with God. There is a statement in Desire of Ages which says this, and I'll tell you what, it describes me. Desire of Ages, page 61. We're told we are slow to learn and ready to forget. That's me. 
Well, I'm going to tell myself I am slow to learn and easy to forget. But you know what? I know I'm not alone. I have a lot of brothers and sisters in the same position that I am. But God has a remedy for this, and I hope that we're going to get to this. I have extracted many truths from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy over the years, and have shared with him, with you them in my sermons. You are a living witness to many of the important truths that God has shared with me out of his word and spirit of prophecy. Nothing, I could take glory for nothing. Everything I shared was from his words and the words of the spirit of prophecy. Put them together, shared them to you. They're not mine. And I'm certainly not the only one that, that knows them. Well, I'd like to share an important lesson with you that the Lord has shared with me. If you're still struggling with sin, if you're still falling into sin, pride just might be part of the problem as it was mine. Because you know this increased knowledge that you have sometimes can make you think, well, I have it all. You know, because of the knowledge that we have, this great truths that we have, that we kind of think that, hey, everything's okay. I know all these wonderful truths. I'm not like them. I'm different. God shared these truths with me. I'm different than those. But the truth is, I don't care if you understand the importance of character perfection and understand the importance of faith and what faith is and how it works. God does not care if you fully understand the sanctuary message and the importance and validity of 1844. God does not care if you have a full understanding of the great controversy, what's it all about and what it entails. God does not care if you understand how that Jesus had two natures, one divine and the other two other human. Well, God does want you to me to understand that our hearts are evil, exceedingly wicked, and without him, dependent on him, every moment of every second of every day, we will fall miserably headlong into sin. You see, none of those things that we've listed, not that God doesn't want you to know them, he does. But what we need to understand that none of those things can save us. None of them. The knowledge of none of those things will change your corrupt heart. None of them. You can have all those truths, all those knowledge, but you still have a fallen nature. And you still have a go-it-alone attitude. And you're not depending on God as we should. But there's a whole nether kind of peace, a greater peace, that many Christians that all call themselves Christians do not have. And this peace can only be found in a living connection with God of the universe. A living connection with Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew chapter 7 and 23, as the young men had read today. Not everyone, Jesus says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, recognizes Jesus as Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then Jesus says, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. They had no relationship with Christ. There was no connection between them and Christ. Could it be, friends, that we have a tremendous amount of knowledge, but we have no connection with Jesus Christ? Could it be that we will stand there on that day and Jesus says, we well, said, but Lord, you know, 
I knew the sanctuary message. I knew how the second coming and the state of that, and I became an Adventist. And, and I paid tithes, and I went to church every Sabbath. But Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. No relationship. None. And that's why I'm trying to stress in this sermon, it's an important that we have a living relationship with the living God of the universe. After almost 30 years of being a Seventh-day Adventist, I come, come, come to the conclusion that I had become full of pride because of my knowledge that God has blessed me with. And how do I know that I've become prideful? Because I've had a little bit of a go-it-alone attitude. And you might be wondering, well, how have I had a, a go-it-alone attitude? Because I will tell you what, if you dare to, to end your day when you go to bed at night and have a prayer and you're not asking God, Lord, my heart is exceedingly wicked and I can't control it without you. And the imaginations of my heart are wicked and I need you. I need you to send your Holy Spirit up upon me because I can't control it, but you can. And I surrender my will to you every night. So that I ask you to keep the evil angels away. I don't want nothing whispering in my ears. Just fill this whole room with your spirit and protect me. There's nothing I now know. There's nothing that I can do to stop it. Only you can stop it. And you better start your next morning when you wake up with the same prayer. And if you're not doing that, I'll tell you what. You have a good alone attitude. You become prideful. Because when you understand what I'm sharing with you, when you experience a connection with the living God, and we'll, we'll go on that just a little. Once you actually experience that, you will not ever want to go to bed at night without it. You will not want to spend, you will not want to start your day without it. Amen? And because of my rebellion, just like the children of Israel, God has allowed, He's used the tools of this life. And I'm telling you, He has. And to me, God has allowed me to fall. Not maybe outwardly, but even inwardly. God has allowed me to fall. He's allowed me to see. He's allowed imaginations of my heart to just flood my brain that I can't shut them off. And he's allowed, um, he's allowed me to see the depths and wickedness of my heart, which I couldn't even, I can't even believe some of the thoughts and stuff that come in my brain. I don't know about you. And some of the bad desires and things that I have that are wrong. And God has showed those to me to show that, look at Ron, you are wicked. Your heart is desperately wicked. And without me, you could do how much? Nothing. I hope, I hope maybe you're there. Maybe it's not just me. Or I, I should say, maybe it's not just me and you've had this similar experience. There's a, there's a statement in the Bible which says that God holds the, the winds of strife. And you know if it's, you know what that means when God holds the four winds, right? If it wasn't for God holding the four winds of strife in this planet right now, this world would just self-destruct. Bombs would be flying, people would be just murdering each other. I mean, every lewd crime in the world, if God didn't hold back, this world, would you, you know what I'm talking about, right? This, this whole world would have been destroyed a long time ago if it wasn't by God's Holy Spirit. And the same thing can be said about us. If God doesn't hold back 
our evil, wicked nature by His Holy Spirit and by us totally dependent on Him on every minute of every day, we, this, you, me, this world would become as Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm truly convicted of that. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, we can go to church and we can pay tithes and we can have the knowledge and we can pat ourselves on the back of what a, you know, all the knowledge that we have. But if your heart is wicked and you have no connection with Jesus Christ, what can I say? Jesus said, I won't, when you stand there on that day, he's going to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. It's only God who can keep our hearts at check and check by his spirit. And I need him every moment of every day. And without him, I will fall into sin again and again and again. You see, my heart is evil and I cannot control my heart, my thoughts, or my imaginations. Even the Apostle Paul understood this in the book of Romans chapter 7. I'm just going to read a portion of it. Because it really describes everything that I've shared with you so far. Listen to the Apostle Paul. For the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Why is it then that the law which is good is made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear to be sin. You see, God wants us to recognize the sin, what sin is and the sinfulness of our heart. For what I would do as far as wanting to keep the law, I do not. But what I hate to do, that, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent that the law is good. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. I'm there. If you're not there, you need to be there. You need to realize in you dwelleth how much good things? None. Nothing. Paul says, for the will is present with me, that is, wanting to keep the law. But how to perform that which is good? Paul says, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. That's me. Is that you? Now, if I do that I would not, it is not no more I to do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So Paul realizes, listen, I'm bad inside. Okay? And then Paul goes on to say, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but listen to this, but I see another law in my body worn against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my body. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then Paul adds, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. So here Paul realizes that he is wicked, evil. He cannot keep God's law. Even though he wants to keep God's law. He realized there is something in him. That just drags him back into sin. And that is each and every one of our situations. Paul isn't the only one. Every one of us have that same situation. But Paul found the answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. You see friends. We are all enslaved. We are sold into captivity into sin because of the wicked, sinful nature of our hearts. And it is only the lovely Jesus who by His Spirit that can keep you from sinning. It is only Jesus who can change our hearts. Listen to this passage again, as I already read it once in Matthew. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now in there it says a whole lot. Those that, that Jesus never knew, and they claimed they knew him, but Jesus says, no, I never knew. And then Jesus told them why. What was that? They were working iniquity. You can see, if you have Jesus, was Paul found the answer was in Christ. If you have Christ and you're walking with Christ and you have such a connection with Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, you won't be sinning. Amen. If you have a connection with Jesus Christ, you won't be sinning because Jesus through the Holy Spirit will keep you from sinning. Amen. These professed Christians were still sinning because they never had a living connection with Jesus. You see, when you have a living connection with Jesus dependent on Him, He will keep you from falling. You see, it is Jesus who keeps us from falling. Jesus taught this lesson in John chapter 15, verses 5 through 6. And it's really taught everywhere in the Bible. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides or is connected in me, and I am him, bear much fruit. For without me, you can do how much? Nothing. If anyone does not abide, stay connected, have that connection with me. He is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them in the fire, and they are burned. That sums up basically those that are saved and those that are lost. Those that are saved have a connection with such a connection with Christ that Christ keeps them from falling. And those who refuse to be connected to Christ are those that will be gathered and burned because they are doing iniquity. They are two classes. Either you're connected to Christ or you're lost. It's simple. In this passage, Jesus clearly teaches that the branches are those that are connected. In the Old Testament, it teaches the same lesson over and over again. Israel could only win the battle when they kept Moses' arms lifted up. You remember that? That's found in Exodus 7.12. Showing that their winning of the battle was a total dependence on God himself. We could say the same even with Peter. He could only walk on water, do the impossible, as long as he kept his eyes on Christ. As long as he kept his eyes on Christ... He did the impossible. He walked on water. But when he took his eyes off of Christ, when he disconnected himself from Christ, he fell in the water. In Steps of Christ, page 68, we're told this. Jesus teaches, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. You are just as dependent upon Christ in order to live a holy life as is the branch upon the parent stock for growth and fruitfulness. Apart from him, you have no life. You have no power to resist temptation. Amen? So if you want to resist temptation, you have to have a living connection with Jesus Christ. If you have a connection with Jesus Christ, He will control your thoughts. He will control your imaginations. Again, in Steps of Christ, page 69. Many have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin. But now they seek by their own efforts to live aright. But every such effort must fail. 
Anytime you try to do anything holy, righteous, good, apart from God, eventually it has to fail because you need to learn the lesson that you, you're not good and that you can't do anything good without Jesus Christ. Then we're told it is by communion with Him daily, hourly, by abiding in Him, that we are to grow in grace. David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. We're also told this in Steps of Christ, page 70, because here's the answer to our problems. We're told to consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your first work. Make that connection first thing in the morning. Make that connection before you go to bed at night. Let your prayers be, take me, O Lord, as holy thine. Abide with me and let all thy work be wrought in thee. This is a daily matter. Each morning, consecrate yourself to God for that day. Thus, day by day, you might be given by giving your life into the hands of God. And thus, your life will be molded more and more after the life of Christ. You see, we need to have a living connection with God. The Bible tells us in Jude chapter 1 and verse 24 and verse 25. Now unto him, meaning Jesus Christ, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence of his glory with exceedingly joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And I will tell you, once you experience this connection with Christ, and you now see the sins that you thought were so hard to overcome are being overcome by nothing that you're doing, but by your total dependence on Jesus Christ and staying connected and asking for His Holy Spirit to give you the victory. And when He does, I tell you what, there's a whole nother kind of peace that's different than the peace that you had with the knowledge of the truth. Because this kind of peace, you now know two things. You know Jesus. And Jesus knows you. And how do you know He knows you? Because you're having victory over sin and you know you have nothing to do with it. The evil imaginations, the sinful thoughts that you once had are gone. And the only time when you they start inkling back even the slightest, go right back to prayer and say, Lord, I need you. Send your Holy Spirit. I can't control these thoughts. I can't control these imaginations. I can't control these feelings. But with Christ you can. Unto him who is able to keep you from falling. There's another lesson I found in the Desire of Ages this year. I find it really a great lesson that we're taught. And I'm going to read it to you right now. It's found in Desire of Ages, page 83. We're all familiar with the story. I'm almost done. We don't, I don't have much farther to go. We all know the story that when Joseph and Mary, they had little Jesus, and they went to the Passover in Jerusalem. And while they were there for a, a number of days, they lost Jesus. Remember that? And they actually left the city, and they didn't even realize he wasn't with them. Because they were so caught up in the hubbub and all the noise and talking to their friends. Oh, Jesus is just back there playing with the other kids or talking to somebody. And then all of a sudden they decided, where's Jesus? Jesus? What happened to Jesus? And then, of course, they panicked. And they went back to, to Jerusalem and go, when they were looking for him. And so I want to read a statement here in the Spirit of Prophecy and Desire of Ages on that little experience. 
And we're told that if Jesus and Mary had stayed their minds upon God by meditation and prayer, they would have realized the sacredness of their trust and would have not lost sight of Jesus. Now listen. By one day's neglect, they lost the Savior. But it cost them three days in anxious anxious search to find Him. So with us. And idle talking, evil speaking, or neglect of prayer. We may in one day lose the Savior presence, and it may take many days of sorrowful search to find Him and regain that peace in which we lost. I bet we've all experienced that. When we became absorbed in worldly things so that we have no thought of Him in whom our hope of eternal life is centered, when we separate ourselves from Jesus and from heavenly angels. These holy beings cannot remain where the Savior's presence is not desired and His absence is not marked, meaning noticed. This is why discouragement is so often exists among the professed followers of, uh, followers of Christ. Many attend religious services and they are refreshed and comforted by the Word of God, but through neglect of meditation, watchfulness and prayer, they lose their blessing and find themselves more destitute than before they received it. They do not see that the fault is their own. By separating themselves from Jesus, they have shut away the light of His presence. You see, we need Jesus every moment of the day. And we need to fear. If Jesus is the one that can keep us from falling... And that we need to have a connection with them as the vine, as the branches are connected to the vine. We need to fear to ever be disconnected to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're told this in Christ's Object Lessons, page 161. We're told to fear to trust to your own strength. Fear to withdraw your hand from the hand of Christ. And attempt to walk life pathway without His abiding presence. So... Sum up just a little bit what we've learned today. Some of us, I believe, I know I have become prideful because of the knowledge that I've had. And then there I found a peace. Because there's peace in knowledge. There's a peace in understanding truth. But it wasn't the peace that God really wanted me to have. The peace that He wanted me to have is the peace of the experience and of having this living connection with Christ that I now know that I He knows me and I know Him. And I know it because I can see His Holy Spirit working in my life. And I'm not saying that He's not working in your life. But I'm saying that if you have the same experience that I've had, I hope that you learn something today that we need to stay connected. We need to stay. We need to have a prayer in the morning. We need to have a prayer at night. A prayer during the day. We need to say, Lord, please, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. Please don't take your Holy Spirit. I don't trust my heart. I don't trust my thoughts. I don't trust my feelings because I know I can't. I'm a puppet in their hands. But when I'm in your hand and when I stay connected to you, these things just flee and they're no longer there. And I pray that you'll have that same experience. And if we do, we when someday we will stand before Jesus and they're going to say, oh yeah, I know you. I know you. 
you were depending on me in all your life, and I was sending my spirit down and protecting you and keeping you from sin. We have a living relationship. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what's going to happen. Amen? Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of the Bible. And the truth that you've given also in the spirit of prophecy. And how through these things you really show us our true condition of the wicked heart that we really have. Thank you for showing the wickedness of the person I am. And also at the same time, show me the remedy that if I stay connected with you, I can have a living experience with you. I can walk with you every day. I know that your presence within me because I'm, I may not be walking on water, but far as sin, I'm walking on water. And I pray that everybody here, Lord, will have the same experience. I want to be with each and every brother and sister in the kingdom, Lord. I want to be there. There is nothing in this world that I'm interested in. There is nothing here that I desire. I only desire your presence, to be in your presence, and to walk with the angels and the holy people in your kingdom. And I pray that everybody here has that same experience. And if we don't have the same experience, turn up the heat, Lord. We need to know the truth because your coming is near. Make us ready for your soon coming, Lord. And may you be able to take us back in the clouds of heaven and to be with you and we can be with you all eternity. And we ask this in the only name of the only person that can do this, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.